Well, good morning. This is Pastor Scott again. If this is your first time joining us on our online gathering, I hope it's not your last time. And I hope the things we have to share with you are just compelling and heart-wrenching and honoring to help you live all for Jesus. Today, we're going to talk about, well, continue the series, The Heart of God. And we've been doing this all summer long, and it's getting getting close to the end of August, and school's back, and people are crazy with the pandemic, and blah, blah, blah. But today, I want to talk to you about this great psalm, Psalm 116, and it's basically the psalm of deliverance. Do, Do we need this or what right now? We need to find that deliverance from God. You know, I've heard uh, preachers, and I've been a preacher a long time, gosh, 39 years. I've been a pastor. That's a long time, so I started before I was born being a pastor. Anyway, for 39 years, I've been a pastor, and I've heard guys say, well, this is my life first, or this is my life first, and I have this verse that defines my life, and it sounds all spiritual and all that, but, and I got to thinking about that the other day. Do I really have a life verse? And what I've decided is I really don't have a life verse, but I have some verses from God's word that has shaped the direction of my life. And one of those is found in Isaiah 61. This came to me in March, on March the 2nd of 1992. I was in Victoria, Texas, praying about what does God have for me next? I was walking away from music ministry, entering into church planting, which I had no idea was on my radar. In fact, church planting in 1992 was not a thing, but God had a thing. And I was praying about this, and I got this, this passage. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance to comfort all who mourn, provide for those who mourn in Zion to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oils instead of mourning, splendid clothes instead of despair, and they will be called righteous trees, or one translation says the oaks of righteousness, planted by the Lord to glorify him. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the former devastations. They will renew the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers will stand and feed your flocks, and foreigners will be your plowmen and vine dressers, and you will be called the Lord's priest, and they will speak of you as ministers of our God, and you'll eat the wealth of the nations, and you will boast in their riches. Now, I probably should have that memorized because it's one of my life verses, but I, I got it pretty close But this is what God said in that season. He says, Scott, I want you to direct your attention towards building people. And I want to direct your attention toward living all for me. And that was in 1992. And that changed the directory of my life, the trajectory of my life. But there's another verse that hit me kind of during that same season that's directed how I want to be a pastor and what kind of churches that I wanted to be a pastor of. And I've been a pastor of a few churches. Uh, I've started two, and I've been a part of three others that you could call them revitalizations, whatever. But I've been part of that. But this passage has come to my mind. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held everything in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed proceeds to all as any who had a need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. They broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Every day the Lord added to the number those who were being saved. Now, again, in that same kind of period of time, 1992, I sat down with Scripture and I said, this is the kind of church I want to pastor. And for these last years, 
this, uh, what is it, 28 years now, that I've said, this is the kind of church I want to be a pastor of, this Acts 2, 42 through 47 kind of church. And so the building lives model that we have, if you want to call it a model, whatever, is the direction that we've been on for these years to be this kind of church. So this passage gave me clarity. These passages gave me clarity. Now, here in Psalm that we're going to deal with today, Psalm 116 is dear to me because God used this over several seasons of uncertainty in my life. Several times that that I was like, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? How are you going to direct me? And this has been just one of those precious, precious psalms to me because it is a psalm of deliverance. And God is our deliverer. And he wants us to trust him, and he wants us to expect him to come through. Now, I have two kids, and I love, love, love my kids. I mean, my kids say that I'm obsessed with them, and and I am. I pray for them. I love them. I care about them. I think about them all the time. My grandkids are the same way. Uh, My son-in-law, John, the same way. I just love my kids. Of course, you know, Tara's my heart, my wife. I love her, and we've been together for 39 years, so it's kind of incredible. And there was this time when my kids were little, we were over visiting my parents over in the Panhandle, Florida, and my sister lived about 45 minutes away. My sister, Judy, is probably watching today, and uh, my kids decided they wanted to spend the night with Aunt Judy, and Aunt Judy had two girls of her own, and so all the cousins were going to be together, and they were going to have a big time. So I left them with Judy, and I drove back to my parents 45 minutes away, go spend the night there, and my kids were safe. About midnight, my sister called and she said, Scott, uh, Caleb and Kayla are crying and they want their daddy. Now, it's kind of funny. You know, usually you want your mama, but they wanted their daddy that night. I, I guess because they thought mama ain't going to get up and drive over there, but daddy, he's a softie, so he's going to do that. So I loaded up and I drove 45 minutes in the middle of the night, got there and just got into bed and got both my kids under each arm and they were happy because daddy was their deliverer. Now, this is an incredible truth for me. As I think back on that intentionality, this psalm reminds me, I have a father, a daddy, who is my deliverer. And I want to show you in this passage how God is your deliverer as well. And so you can live with great confidence that we have a God who's coming through to deliver you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you're going to say today in your word. And I pray that, Father, you'll give me clarity of thought, elegance of speech, or eloquence of speech, and that uh, you'll just speak to your people who are listening, that their hearts may be engaged with you, and they may take next steps to live all for you. So we pray this in your son's strong name. Amen. Now, I want to remind you of the resources we provide on our website. You can go there. It's our central hub of information. It's also our central hub of inspiration. You can go and download materials and get thoughts and and content, and we're going to continually update that. In fact, we're starting uh, in September, September 13th, a series on Joshua, and we're going to be delivering at least five distinct uh, contents deliverables during uh during that series. So you, you, you look forward to that. So here's the first thing I want you to hold on to in this passage, that God hears me when I call. He hears me. Now, sometimes you think, well, God's not listening. God doesn't hear me. My prayers, and this is a silly thing, my prayers feel like they're bouncing off the ceiling. Really? 
You know, you cannot live your life by what you feel. You have to live your life based on the truth that is revealed through God's word. Let me read this for you. I love the Lord because he He's heard my voice and my pleads for mercy because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. Snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol lay hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Now, David's writing this, and what he's saying is that God is a great listener. But he's not just a listener who's passive and listening. Now, y'all have had conversations like that. People talk to you, and they're just listening, but they're really not listening. They're not listening to respond. They're not listening to answer. They're just listening. I I remember being trained in pastoral counseling that we were trained in a Rogerian form of counseling where we would hear people just tell us stuff, and then we would respond, oh, oh. Well, what I hear you saying is blah, blah, blah. But see, we need to be active in our listening, listening in order to deliver. Now, I discovered this early on in marriage that when Tara would tell me something, she really did want to solve me to solve their problem. I, 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 I was one of those fixers. She'd say this, this, and I said, well, this is what you ought to do. She didn't want to hear that. She wanted to know I was, get this, in it with her. That's how God listens. He's in it with us. He's not distant or distracted or detached. He's listening in order to respond. He inclined his ear. He leaned in and inclined his ear. That's a really powerful word in Hebrew because what he's saying, he's listening in order to deliver. If you remember in the book of Exodus, when God is talking to Moses, he said, I've inclined my ear. I've heard their cry of distress. Now, of course, when I read that, 400 years, they'd been crying out. So, you know, come on, God, let's, like, move things along. But that's not the way God listens. He inclines his ear in order to deliver us at the time for the greatest revelation of his glory. That's how he listens, and that's how he delivers. Now, this creates great security. You see, one of our greatest relational failures is that we don't listen, How many times I've had discussions with my wife that says, you just don't listen. What your problem is, is you don't listen. In fact, this is kind of one of our ongoing inside jokes in our staff, on our staff team, will say, our problem is, is we don't listen. You know what? That is a problem. That's a problem with all of us. We don't listen or we listen for our advantage or we listen, get this, in order to steal someone's ego food. Have you ever been listening to somebody's story and you start concocting your story before their story gets finished so you can tell them your story, which is better than their story, and it becomes a competition for ego food? God doesn't listen like that. God listens in order to deliver. He listens in order to solve and work and move in our lives. And I love that. And I love the Lord because he listens to me. Now, does God know the end? Before the beginning, yeah. Is God always present? Yeah. We're going to talk about that next week and, and our talk about God, the God of presence out of Psalm 139. But God is the God who listens in order to recline. He knows the troubles I'm experiencing. There, there's an old song that says, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows like Jesus. And that's true. God knows and he listens because he knows. Listen to what the author of Hebrews said. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, he's talking about Jesus here, that Jesus is the one who, who knows us, and he knows what we're experiencing, how we've experienced it, and he knows what we're facing. Nobody knows the troubles I have seen like Jesus, and he knows, and he listens, and I then, then I call upon his name, and because he's listening to me, I'm going to call upon his name as long as I live, because he listens. Now, but he goes on to say this, God's character he listens, and his character never changes. Have you been around somebody who's volatile, who, whose character changes, who motives, and as you, know, you know, don't know what you're getting to every day, like you walk in and they're different, and some people have uh, you know, bipolar issues, and I'm not judging that. Mental issues are, are serious, but God does, it's not like that. God is not bipolar. God does not have a personality disorder. God is consistent, and his consistency brings me confidence. Listen to what David said here. Gracious is the Lord and righteous and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return on my soul to your rest for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, and I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted, I've said in my alarm. All mankind are liars. Now, that's kind of a hard term, but let's talk about this. God says this, he's full of grace and mercy. He is full of grace and mercy. John said this in his gospel, Pastor John, writing to his church to reveal the deity of Jesus, said, and we beheld his glory, glory full of grace and truth. And he's full of mercy. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. And, and I love the fact that he says, I preserve the simple. That's me. That's me. God is the, the preserver of me. I have a friend of mine who lives in South Texas, and he might be watching today. His name is Brian Williams. We lovingly call him Boudreaux. And uh, Brian and I, one day, we had all our kids in his Cadillac. He had a big old Cadillac, you know, with, with the fins on the back. And we were tootling along, and we ran out of gas. Now, I had our two kids, my two kids, his two kids, so four kids, and and me and Brian, so with a big cat like a whole lot of people, and we coasted into a gas station. Coasted into a gas station. Brian looked at me. He said, "Well, you know, God preserves fools and children." Well, and I looked at him. I said, "I guess we're the fool, or I'm the fool for riding with you because you didn't check on the gas." He said, "Why are you worried? God's got this because God preserves the simple." Now, that's just an illustration. That may be a silly one, but God, he knows we're just dust. He knows that. He knows that we're, we're weak and we're malformed and we're struggle and we're sinful. God knows that, and he preserves us because he preserves the simple. So I can rest in the fact that God is with me. I can rest in the fact that God will not change his opinion about me and that he loves me in consistency. That, man, that gives me hope. Look what else he does. This is what he does. This is the list. He delivers my soul from death. Why did the psalmist say my soul? Because listen, there's a piece of you, that inner being of you, not your physicality, not your physical nature, but your soul that's never gonna die. It's created to be eternal. And so when God says I preserve 
my soul from death. That means that one day when I die, I'm going to be more alive than I've ever been because of my faith in Jesus Christ. He preserves my soul from death. I'm not scared of dying. And people have talked about, you know, from don't live in fear, live in faith. And so I don't wear a mask because I'm not afraid. No, that's that's just called silly. I don't pick up snakes, y'all. And it's not a matter of faith or fear. It's a matter of being dumb. I don't drink poison, y'all, because it's it's a matter of not being faithful but or fearful. It's a matter about being wise, being wise. And so sometimes we take these things and we mix politics and bad theology together to come up with reckless behavior, and we call it faith when it's really just foolish. Just a thought. But God preserves me, and he delivers my soul from death. I'm not afraid of dying of the coronavirus. I'm not. But what's my wife going to do if I die from coronavirus? What's my grandkids going to do? I know God preserves my life. I'm not worried about me, but I have to be responsible because I'm worried about you. I have to take care of you. So it's about responsible. But he drives my tears. I love the fact that God is my comfort. And he takes his big old nail-pierced hands and he wipes away the tears from my eyes. He steadies my feet. What does that mean? That means this is literally what it means. He takes his hands and he holds on to me that I may not slip to the left or the right. You ever walked with a toddler? Toddlers walk and you got your hands beside them because kind of help them. That's how God does us. That's how he does us. Then he directs my path. He says, let's go this way. Let's go this way. I, I love A.W. A. Tozer, a great theologian. He said this, a man rightly related to God cannot make a wrong decision because God, rightly related to Jesus Christ, he directs my path. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. He will direct your path. And this is what he does for me. And then the psalmist takes a hard turn, and he said, all men are liars. (laughs) Well, you know what he's saying there? I'm not going to trust in the opinion of men. I'm going to trust in the revelation of God. I'm going to trust in the Lord. So in this season of pandemic, I'm not going to trust in politics or announcements from media. I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to trust in God. And I want to make decisions based on biblical wisdom, not political uh, pandering. All for Jesus. And I I want you to to think through the same thing. And this psalm says God can be trusted. But then he goes on to say that God's deliverance then leads to greater love. Leads to greater love. Not just for him, but for us. That we can love each other greater. Jesus said this, the greatest commandment is this, love God and love people. Love God and love people. And so listen to what he says. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious is the, in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I'm your servant. I'm your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on your name, uh, call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in presence of all the people in the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Now, the psalmist is saying this, and I want you to hold on to this. You truly cannot worship God until he has saved 
you. Oh. I can attend a church service. I can sing some songs. But until he saved me, I really can't worship him. Because there has to be a spiritual transaction where I pass from life to death, from being a son of the devil to being a son of the Lord, through a decision to accept Jesus as my Savior. Then I can worship him. There's a great illustration of this truth found in in the Gospels. Jesus walks on the water. And he begs, Peter says, can I come out? And Jesus says, come on out. Peter gets out and he sinks. Of course, Jesus saves him. And he puts him back in the boat. The seas goes calm. And then the Bible says, and then they worshiped him. You see, the disciples did not worship him, even though he had healed lepers, caused blind to see, raised the dead, fed 5,000. They've seen all of this. They didn't worship him until their rear ends were on the line. And when he saved them, they worshiped him. And when God saves you, you will worship him. Then there's that little nugget sitting right in the middle of this. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. That little jewel that sits right in the middle of 116 that sits in. What does that mean? That when it comes time for me to die, which is appointed a man wants to die, then the judgment, says that in Hebrews, that once it's time for me to die, God does not look on it with fear and trembling, but he comes for me and he takes me home to be with him. Angels don't come. The Lord comes. He comes and takes me home and it's precious in his sight. And I've contemplated that. What does that mean? That means a couple times a week, I'm home, and then Tara comes in, and her arrival is precious in my sight. Time to time, my kids show up, and they're precious in my sight. And one day, when the Lord's ready for me, and I'm not going to die until he's done, he's going to come for me, and it's going to be a precious reunion because the Lord has come for me. You know, I've watched that over the years. In fact, over the last several months, I've seen some wonderful, lovely saints of God go to their eternal reward. And God said, this is precious to me. This is precious to me. In the midst of my life, the greatest enemy of my life is death, and God is my deliverer. Wow. You see, we are created to love God and enjoy his presence forever. And we do that all for Jesus. So let me end this with this. It's not a very long talk, and that's probably okay uh, because you probably got other stuff to do. But, you know, I think back to those days when my little kids were in my sister's house crying for their daddy. And I would move heaven and earth to go get them. Why? Because I'm a daddy. And I love them. And I care about them. And I wanted to go rescue them. And it was precious in my sight when those two little rascals snuggled up under my arms and we slept in that little bed with all them kids. I didn't sleep too well, but it didn't matter. You know, the Lord never slumbers nor does he sleep because his kids are always aggravating him in the night, right? And I could be a daddy who rescues. This psalm says, this is my God, 
My kids had a daddy who would rescue them, and so do you. So do I, because God loves us. So I want you to lavish in this psalm and lean into this psalm. And maybe you should say for the first time in your life, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm yours. I'm ready to be your child because I need your deliverance so I can live. All for Jesus because he's the God who delivers me.